Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. From frozen tundras to vast deserts to uncharted jungle islands, follow the clues to the Tomb of Hagamoth. Dire Destiny Books presents a classic adventure in a new expanded format with five unique dungeons, dozens of memorable NPCs, and a host of new foes, magic items, spells, and player options. Available now on DM's Guild from Dire Destiny Books, and the adventure continues at DireDestiny.com. Hey online D&D players, tired of cumbersome anonymous character sheets or hefty subscription fees? Dwarven Academy solves that for you. Dwarven Academy is an intuitive and eye-pleasing character builder for D&D 5e devised to help all players easily navigate the game's complex rule system. Best of all, it's free. Head to dwarven.academy to build your next character and follow them on Twitter, Discord, and Patreon. Now let's get to our guest intro. It's another day yeah. for us. Unfortunately, you are making us late for our lunch party for Campfire. And Beyonce is gonna is waiting for us. And Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> like you wouldn't there's huge TTRBG fans actually. So yeah. but you know, that's fine. We'll give you some time and this it's all good. You know, uh Beyonce I could see, but I'm really surprised that Ryan Reynolds is into tabletop gaming, to be honest. Huge, huge. You wouldn't think so. He is huge. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a 3.5 guy, though, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing every he's, time. He's, he's an like, OSR elitist. Uh, uh. <laughs> it is my pleasure to introduce this episode's guests, Fernando and Matthew. Together, they make the dynamic duo that is Abyssal Bruise. They've been churning out magic items and homebrew rules and add-ons for D&D 5e since February and show no signs of stopping. We chatted about what each brings to the table, their TTRPG journeys, and much more. Enjoy! So tabletop RPGs have always been this kind of lurking butler in the background for me. Whenever I was really young, uh, somewhere in the like 12, 13 year old era, I was invited from a a friend over to just hang out and, and, you know, chill. And I'm over there and his older brother has all these books that were 3.5 at the time. And I am at this time a huge Dragonlance nerd. I was reading those and he asked me, Hey, do you, you like Dragonlance? So do you want to, you know, play a game of Dragonlance? Essentially. I was hooked instantly. I mean, I, I went home and that was after I ran my first session with him, I went home and the next, you know, week I bought everything that I could possibly get my hands on as a, a 13 year old with a reasonable allowance saving. Uh, (laughs) But after that, it never stopped. I started DMing about six weeks later. And from that point, I was I was gone. That was my forever life from that point on. I loved it so much. That's how I got started. I'm 33 years old now. So I've been at it for quite a number of years. I guess that's what, two decades, which feels weird to say, right? But I try not to use the the years of experience thing. That feels really awkward to me, but that's how I got started. It was just somebody's older brother, friend's older brother that said, hey, you like nerdy stuff. I can feel that about you. And I, he was right. <laughs>
So that's how you have to get into TTRPGs when you're younger is another nerd recognizes your nerdiness. So either I was too nerdy or I wasn't nerdy enough and I had to wait till I got to like working age and and then coworkers invited me. That's that's what I'm understanding oh, from this. So good to know. Good to know. <laughs> that's different. Yeah, I I yeah. would never expect that. I mean, I have coworkers that kind of hint around that they might have previously played D&D but they they never really commit you know if i say like oh yeah you know i am big into dnd i love ttrpgs so and fernando didn't you have a coworker that was into ttrpgs that you were talking about or was that not who i'm thinking of i had some friends i had some friends not really coworkers but i had some friends that were into that stuff but um it's uh it's one of those things where like you kind of like nerdum recognizes nerdum because like <laughs> The guy actually that was in my party, the the one the the one time that I DM a game, uh, which was disastrous. So this is a perfect podcast for me because like if you want to <laughs> learn how not to DM, just listen to a couple of stories from those two sessions. And yeah, that's exactly how not to do it. So it was almost like a, one of those like this is how not to do it on purpose guides. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's funny because that guy who's still a great friend of mine, even though he moved uh, away, I would see him and his wife at the train station going to work all the time, and I was always like. Yeah, there was something about him that stood out from the crowd that I was like, that's my people. And my wife and I coincidentally were at a restaurant one time and we I bumped into him and his wife. And my wife went to the bathroom and he was in the table next to ours. And I just straight up was like, hey, this is gonna sound weird, but like I actually see you guys at train station in the morning sometimes. And we struck a conversation and we became, you know, not friends there, but we exchanged info because I'm like, hey, we just moved into this area. We're looking to like people to hang out with, all the couples and stuff. And sure enough, this guy was into D&D. He was into all the same movies and nerd. So it's kind of like we recognize each other, right? It's, it's There's something that's like a sixth sense. It's almost like Highlander. Like, you know, when there's another nerd around. <laughs> it's the nerdy aura. Yeah. yeah. So, Fernando, what about you? How did you get into gaming originally? Super different. Uh, I grew up in Cuba and a little bit in Venezuela. And in Cuba, we don't have any of this stuff. Like, in fact, all this stuff, anything American is bad. But in Cuba, when the weather is right, you can get TV signals from Miami uh, if you have like a certain antenna and stuff like that. So I would watch kind of like pirate TV. It, it is kind of what it was, but it was really just regular uh, broadcast TV from Miami. And uh, I would watch the commercials for all this d and I don't know if you guys remember, this is in the 80s because I'm 40, I'm older than you guys. And uh, in well, the 80s, they had this, uh, yeah, right? My, my cane is off screen. So... Um, <laughs> In the in the eighties, they had all this uh, sort of like toys. It, it was kind of like play sets for D and D. It was D and D branded, and I thought that's what D and D was my whole life. And then when we moved to Venezuela, I saw D and D at a bookstore. And things like this outside of the United States, especially in third world countries, are extremely expensive. And my parents, you know, we were not we were actually dirt poor, but every now and then they would kind of you know buy me stuff like this. It's funny because I didn't grow up. I don't nerds at all, but it was in me since I was a little kid. That's what I was attracted to. All the other kids in Cuba and Venezuela, they were into sports, they were into going to the beach, all those other things. And literally, I didn't know any other kid that was into the stuff that I was into. But somehow, there was something in me that I, that's the stuff I was attracted to, just naturally gravitated towards, towards the stuff. And I managed to be a nerd in a country that really doesn't have that many. So when I moved to Venezuela, I saw this box set of the Dragon Quest D&D kind of like starter set. Uh, yeah. which is kind of like D&D, like, right? So I remember my parents bought me that. I couldn't figure out how to play it. It was in English. It was my second language. 
I basically played it by myself. It was forever alone. I was doing the DM and the play <laughs> at the same time. And uh, I, again, I treated it like a board game because that's what I thought it was. Yep. Mm. But what got me into it, both to get the, uh, the box set and to just peruse the book over and over, was the art. So that, you know, it stands to reason that I'm an illustrator and working fantasy now. Because Larry Ermore's uh, art specifically, and I met Fantastic. him a few years ago, and it was like the highlight of my art. Right. The mm. highlight of my life was meeting that guy and talking art with him yep. and talking about, hey, I'm kind of doing the same thing that you're doing because you inspired me when I was a little kid. And just I just kept looking at it and kept looking at it and just absorbing it through the art. And then once I moved to the United States, finally, I was able to then meet people that were into the same stuff. And that's when I finally, you know, DM the game and I've been part of games and stuff like that. But it was, it's funny because unlike you guys, you guys have people around yep. you that yep. could introduce you to stuff. I had no one to introduce myself other than that, like some random commercial and static TV. But that was enough to just plant that seed in me because like I just, I was born a nerd. And at some point uh, I was able to finally become what I was always meant to be, which was a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Man. That's beautiful. So you mentioned, Matthew, that you started DMing pretty soon after you started playing. Yeah. Yeah, so let's true. dive into that now. Your first DMing experience. Do you remember what it was? What game, or you know, yeah. what, what the module was, and and how it went? So I didn't know that modules existed. I was of the impression that I mean, I had like the PHB, and I mean, my my monster manual and all that is sitting off to my right right now. It's still on my shelf. It it sits right there. But that's all I thought there was. I didn't know that there were adventures at that time. I had just picked up the base like PHB, the Monster Manual, and the DMG, and that was it. So for me, I just started putting together things, and I didn't understand balance. I didn't understand anything. I really loved Mind Flayers, though. So I was like, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to get a party together, and they're going to go fight a man. I killed them all. It was, <laughs> it, it was terrible. I invite my friends over and I'm like, all right, guys, we're doing this. They're all excited. We're going to play D&D. We sit down and I'm like, all right, I'm 13 years old. I know what I'm doing, right? I know everything about DMing. I am a god. I have read through everything. And I read the, the you know, front to back and I'm like, okay, first encounter, Knowles. Yeah, we're going to do Knowles. That's cool. So we get in there, we do that. And I'm like, oh, oh, these hit a little hard. All right. These, you know, level one characters, not really knowing what they're doing. Okay. But it'll be fine. You know, we're, we're going to level up after this and everything will be fine. So I didn't really understand, you know, like the CR system at the time or any of that. So yeah, you got a bunch of 13 year olds getting absolutely destroyed by a mind flare at level two. That was <laughs> that was my first step into DMing. And after that, I learned that there was a whole whole lot more out there. I started consulting people that were around me, friends who actually had played. And my second time, I can't remember the name of the module off the top of my head. It, it's failing me horribly. But I did grab a module from a friend. And that was my second time and I didn't kill everybody instantly. But I, I always like to I always like to say, you know, I've been TPKing for 20 years, you know. <laughs> that was the original concept for Stranger Things was a bunch of 13 year olds get destroyed by a mind flayer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. I, I just ran prophetic. It. Yeah. That's <laughs> I impressive. Didn't that, I didn't know that 20 years later I'd be watching that on on Netflix. I was about to say TV, but who owns TVs anymore? They, they owe you some royalties, man. Yeah, yeah they yeah, do. Absolutely. 
<laughs> Russo brothers, where are you at? All right. So Fernando, you said you've done it once or maybe twice. Tell us oh, how yeah. that one went. Please do. Yeah, it was basically, yeah, it was a module. I bought the module. I, uh, so I got into it because um, I was listening to uh, Acquisition Incorporator. I'm a huge Penny Arcade fan. And that's what got me into it. I was like, oh, this is fantastic, right? Like it was fourth edition. And I bought the module, the, the starter kit or whatever. And I got my friends, uh, that friend from Transition, my cousin and another kid. And basically it was just a disaster. I was more into laying out the tiles. I was treating like a board game. I was treating like a video game, which I know you were talking to Jeff about that. And it was, it was kind of like that, Like we were all video gamers, mm-hmm. except that one friend that had experience, which was, I felt the worst for him because he knew what a good DM is and I wasn't it. Um, <laughs> I don't know how he lasted that second session. And uh, yeah, it was very, um, it was kind of like confrontational, right? Like I didn't see it like we were all playing together. It was more like me against them. It was, I was more concentrated on the combat encounters. I couldn't wait to get to the combat. So the whole game starts and I'm giving them the hook and they're kind of going for the hook, but then the negotiating price with the guy uh, that is giving them the quest. And I did, uh, this is like, I'm so embarrassed to even say this, Yes. Uh, but like, I literally, yeah, I literally went like, Hey, do you guys want to play the game or not? Just take the quest. I didn't like <laughs> role play. I was just like, we gotta move on. We gotta move on to the combat. What are we doing? We're just wasting time in this tavern. And now I know, obviously, like, that's the good stuff. I should have spent a ton of time at that tavern talking to all the people they wanted to talk to and do all the voices. And then the thing was, like, it was a mix, right? Because I was trying. I knew sort of, like, how to be a good DM because of Chris Perkins. And I knew that his golden rule was, like, never say no. So I kept trying to say no. But then, like, <laughs> my controlling self kept saying no to things. So I'm like, no, that's not how we do it. You can't, you can't just jump over the chasm. There's a chasm for a reason. So, you know, I wasn't, it was a disaster. And um, yeah, like I said, it was just like, I just wanted the combat combat. And then I would get frustrated when like my trap didn't get triggered yep. and things like that instead of like, so just, yeah, complete disaster because I, I understand stops. now. But... That part never stops, by the way. I'm still <laughs> frustrated every time they don't find the thing or, or trigger the tra- <laughs> You just have to bury it now, right? Right uh-huh. now, yeah, I I had a I think I had a tweet like a few weeks back that was like you know the DMs go through six out of the seven stages of grief, uh, in roughly ten seconds. We never truly get acceptance though. We just use it again. <laughs> yeah, I I think everyone knows how that feels. So I think you kind of touched on this already, Fernando, about your worst mistakes. Uh, so I won't make you relive that. But Ooh. Matthew, any big mistakes sticking out in uh, your DMing career? Yeah. So this one, this one might be a little more serious. You know, we're, we're pretty jokey guys, but for me, I think my biggest mistake was it was when D and five E was not five E yet. It was next, right? That's what we were looking at at the time D and D next. And I had decided to DM for a new group and the new group was composed of three people that I knew and one person that I kind of knew. And we were getting ready to set up this adventure and it was all good. Everybody was having a good time, but something that I didn't do before I started was, and this was kind of still a new concept at the time, I remember, but uh, some of the safety tools that are out there that we use constantly now, you know, um, X cards, lines and veils, things of that nature. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize this and this feels terrible to talk about, but what I didn't realize is that one of the players, the person that I didn't know, had had a miscarriage two weeks before. And 
start of this adventure, like the setup to the adventure was there was a, a child that was basically like unsavable at the beginning of it. And it was it like destroyed this poor woman. And we reconciled. Things were good. Over time, it got better. We're still good friends to this day. So no hard feelings there. But what I learned is that, oh my God, safety tools. <laughs> that was the roughest experience I ever had. I mean, I hate to bring the mood of the, the convo down with that, but that is the roughest experience I have ever had. And I, I think there was like a good two to three weeks after that where I was like, I, I can't DM again. I can't, I can't do this. I'm, I have ruined my ability to approach the game from that standpoint. But that's when, you know, I started reaching out on, at the time it was forums and, and things of that nature. I mean, you know, we, we still do social media and everything at that time, but I, I started reaching out on different DM forums and I learned a lot more about player safety. Um, and I embraced it holistically. It has uh, changed quite a lot. So, you know, I don't think I've ever been a really, you know, antagonistic or a really kind of horrible DM, but I have had, you know, a gaff or two here and there. And that was a big one. Yeah. I mean, when you are playing with people you know really well, even yep. then there might be stuff that you don't know yep. about their lives <laughs> that you just have to be mindful of. And you learned the hard way. Yep. You know, I haven't had an experience exactly like that, but a f couple of my guests have talked about something similar. And it, it's just so important to be empathetic of people yep. and to realize they're all people with all sorts of different experiences. And so long as we know what is and isn't okay before we dive into it, you know, you're all going to have a good time. And so glad that you, number one, were able to get through the yips and get back behind the screen. And number two, you know, I, I'm glad you were able to reconcile things after that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I had them at a table actually um, about two years ago and it felt great to have them back. We had a much better experience, but still, you know, that one in the background that will make sure that I never, ever miss a lines and veils discussion again. Thank God I went first because geez, I don't know how you follow that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah you're, it would seem a little trivial after that is true but yeah that's you know that's kind of part of the reason i love asking people that question is because yeah. it's really important to dig up this stuff that way everyone else who listens you know doesn't make that same mistake so thanks for sharing you, you've been talking a lot in your show about consent and and that's actually really important because i was just telling my that uh, I was in a game once with a good friend of ours and he didn't intend to, but like he kind of put my character in a weird sexual situation that I was not comfortable with. I'm totally mm. not cool with that stuff. And he's fine. We're still friends. It was all good. But then I appreciated that in a game that I played with Matt, maybe a couple of years later that he was running, the session zero, one of the first things that he did was talk to everybody at the table and be like, what is everybody comfortable with? What are the, you know, the red lines? And I remember uh, one of the things that I had was like my character had a pet rat that I kind of had named it after my wife's kind of pet name when she was a little kid. And I used to almost like, just please don't kill the rat ever. Definitely don't let them do any like sex stuff because I'm not comfortable with that. But also like whatever we do, like I'll be a good player too. And I will put the rat in any weird situations and take advantage of that. But also like, please don't kill the rat. Yeah. And you know, fully respectable. Um, Grok and Kiki, love them. <laughs> love and Kiki. Here's some more awesome sponsors of the show. My Sound Delve is a player-centric sound effect app that improves immersion. What does your character sound like? Match their actions with more than 2,000 sound effects in the My Sound Delve app. 
If the standard library doesn't have what you need, you can record and import unlimited sound files with the premium version. Go to mysounddel.com to get started. Are you hungry for fortune and glory? Then follow the clues to the tomb of Hagamoth. Join the hunt for a treasure great enough to tempt even the most jaded adventurer. Dire Destiny Books presents an adventure for 4-6 characters starting at level 3 and ending at level 9, with entertaining monsters, traps, and unique treasures for you to encounter across a dozen thrilling locations. Available on DMs Guild from Dire Destiny Books, and the adventure continues at DireDestiny.com. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk about some of your favorite moments in games. And this can be when you're running the, the game or it could be when you are playing as a player as well. So what are some of your favorite moments from both of you that are of improv, you know, something that was made up on the spot that was memorable? It could be combat. It could be role playing. It could be a specific encounter. Yeah, I unfortunately don't have much because uh, I'm being mostly a player and not a DM. And yeah. the games that I played have been, there's been some great improvisation. It's been great. Like one time, my character kicked off that, uh, remember, kicked off that door and yelled, Booyakasha, and just like set a flame a bunch of goblins. And it was hilarious. But what I will say is, from the player's point of view, since this podcast is more guided towards DMs, uh, the first game that I ever played as a player, the first moment that as a video gamer, I was able to just g- grab something from the environment and use it in combat was unbelievable like i never forget the first time that i used i think it was like a chair or something like that. it was very mundane but just the fact that i could do that in the game something that you can never do in a video game was mind-blowing and that was the moment that i fell in love with dungeons and dragons for the rest of my life like that was like that's it it's it's this is all i want to play now because you'll never have like a video game experience like this basically for all the dms out there like give your players those moments especially if it's a new player at your table give them that moment where you're breaking those boundaries that we have all been gotten used to because of video games and all the media. Give them that moment. And like I said, even if it's as mundane as just using a chair or you know swinging off a, a chandelier or something like silly like that, but just like that will stay with your player for the rest of their gaming life. I mm-hmm. love those kind of moments. I really encourage improvisation and improvised attacks and things of that nature. Ask me. Ask me regularly if you can do a thing and I will help you make it happen. I think that for myself, lately, I actually had one really recently. I currently have a home game with, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, I have the best players of all time uh, in my home game. Yours can't compete, mine are better. So recently, somebody that I'm really good friends with, Chelsea, Chelsea Larson, she has a presence over on Twitter, Chelsea Larson Art. You should check her out. She's a great character artist. She recently had this really wonderful moment with her deity. She is playing a monk. It's a homebrew setting. And this monk is really dedicated to this deity called Adar. It's the deity of life and death, the builder of life and death. I call them builders in my setting. And she had this really wonderful moment with her half-orc monk, Karu, where she got a chance to go into what's called a reaching basin where she gets the chance to actually go and speak with her deity. Mm. And it was this really touching, really wonderful moment where we didn't plan this whatsoever, but she didn't really want to look at the deity to understand what it was. She just wanted to walk with 
Adar and speak with him and understand what this was all meant to be and why Keru was placed into the position where they were, why they are the protector of their group, so on and so forth. And so they're walking through this kind of weird, unreal land discussing, and she has this long, drawn-out conversation with the deity, and at the end, takes a moment to finally look Adar in the face. And that moment was just amazingly powerful at the table. There was quiet for quite a while afterwards, after seeing you know, her deity for the first time. And I remember that after that session, everybody kind of agreed that that was probably one of the better improv and story beats that we've had. I still, like, I'm sitting here feeling things about it. The The real great part, though, was the joy of her character, Keru, finally getting that face-to-face interaction that they had been wanting for so long. In my realm, all of the builders, all 12 of them, are former mortals that ascended to deities and, and built this world that they're in now. I said former mortals because they weren't necessarily human. In fact, what Keru got to see when they looked up and saw their deity was my favorite monster of all time, a mind flayer, bringing it right back. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. No, it was, it was beautiful though. um, Because in that, in that kind of setting, the, the mind flayer, Adar, very different, but it was just a really like wonderful moment where everybody agreed. It was a great story beat, but also everyone was like, what? It was 20 years <laughs> in the making. He's been right. waiting 20 years to unleash a mind flare on a uh, poor, on a, a group of poor people. Um, by the way, can I just say, like, this is why Matt is one of the best things that's happened to the TTRPG community. And I say that as a community member and not as the other half of Lisa Bruce. It noticed that he just plugged Chelsea stuff and we haven't talked about our stuff at all. And that's what he does, right? Like, he's so selfless. <laughs> he's always uplifting other people. I know it's uh, we're joking. By the way, but campfire. No, I'm kidding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but no. But I'm serious. That that's why I think he's such a good, great addition to to this community. And because that's what he does. Like he just believes in uplifting other people, not just you know plugging or stuff. So. so. So this transitions well into your project, your combined project, which is Abyssal Bruise. So tell us how you two met, and then how Abyssal Bruise got started and you know how it's going today so i was running a final fantasy 14 guild called 404 guild not found i launched it in the beta of final fantasy 14 a realm reborn whenever it was coming back and it was looking good and i'm like oh man i love mmos this is pumped um loving final fantasy i'm going to start up a guild i have always been This is going to sound really not humble, but I've been kind of a natural leader for a lot of things. So a a guild leader position was was nothing new to me. I had had run some other things in the past uh, in World of Warcraft and then Guild Wars 2 and, you know, Tesso and other things, so on and so forth. But uh, I started the guild for for Final Fantasy 14. And the the tagline I remember was chill, social, kind of silly. That was the thing that we were running. And I kept up, you know, advertising recruitment threads. And we actually had a kind of 
what I'll call rigorous application process. We were very picky about who we got in because it was meant to be like a social club for us, right? We wanted to feel good about the people that we were getting in. We wanted to have people that were similar to us, which, you know, people that wanted to enrich the community and have a good time. Fernando actually was one of the very earliest members that was not in my inner circle of friends. I think that yourself and Drew were the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you were... You came as kind of a package deal. And... <laughs> we still kind of are. Right. <laughs> uh, but they both applied within the same day. And I think that they were like the eighth and ninth member of that guild. That's when we got started. And that kicked off a friendship that I didn't necessarily expect, but I am so happy for it. He and I kept in touch after 404 kind of, you know, fell down and we never stopped being friends. We kept playing games together. We kept talking, we kept hanging out. You know, I had him in a D&D campaign or two. And over the that time, we kind of realized that he and I were meant to be working together at some point. Fernando, uh, I don't know, from your side, how was it when you joined? Was it like obvious that we were going to be long-term friends? I don't know. Yeah, I, I had just come back from PAX where we finally tried uh, Final Fantasy XIV because I was like swearing off MMOs at that point. But then I liked that one. And then I started looking for a guild. And what I liked about that guild was they had uh, the best website I've ever seen for a guild. And it's all about Matt's graphic design, right? Like this website was unbelievably good for a guild. It was, this was before the day of like Squarespace and all stuff where anybody could make a decent looking website. This was all like hand, handmade stuff. And I was blown away. I was like, okay, like I want to be part of this just because I'm a very visual person. So I applied and I was really funny in my application. I remember like I was, I liked making people laugh and stuff. Sometimes it's a problem in my D&D games because my entry into D&D is Agustin Incorporated, which is kind of like a comedy podcast and uh, the Adventure Zone and stuff like that. That's what I gravitate towards. I love Critical Role because they get really silly too, but uh, sometimes it's a little heavy for me. So I always feel like I have to bring some funny to the D&D games, which I know doesn't jive for everybody, and I try to be respectful of that too. So I pulled myself out of a few games where I'm like, yeah, this is not for me. Like, I don't want to ruin their fun for everybody else. So anyway, I applied for the guild, and so like we were having our first baby, <laughs> and I remember they sent me like a... a like a really nice kind of like baby shower gift, which I was like, what video game guild does that for you? And that's when I was like, that's it. You know, like Matt is now my circle of like best friends forever. I made a point because I remember like when, when the guild kind of fell apart, you know, he was the leader and stuff like that. It, things were a little weird, like, like it always is, but I made sure to stay in touch with him because I, I had just connected with him. And I mean, he's definitely one of my absolute best closest friends. And we've been like that for, I want to say like what eight years or something like that. And so yeah. I think it's like 2013 is when we kind of know because that's when Final Fantasy 14 came out. While just being friends, we got into TDRPGs and stuff like that, DD. And I remember um, a couple of years ago, maybe we had like an idea for like a like a board game. I'm hoping that we can still make something out of it uh, in the TDRPG space, perhaps as a campaign. I really because he's a really good writer. So I would, I would like us to explore that more, but as a D&D campaign rather than as a board game. But that's how we started working together on something. And that felt so good. If you look, that even though that project didn't work out, I always kept my eye out for all the projects that could possibly work out better. And then when he started talking about homebrewing and stuff like that, I kind of just inserted myself into it. 
because I think he was just going to hire me for the illustrations, which means that there would have been a lot less illustrations in the modules and stuff like that. Yep. But um, I was like, no, no, dude, let's just, let's just be partners. And that's how we kind of partnered up and, you know, I tried to help with more than just the illustrations. It was this really interesting discussion we had that went on for probably about two or three days. I go through a bit of depressive cycles at times, and I think a lot of people in this community can understand uh, struggles with depression. And for me, January was a real dark time, probably just because, you know, there was a lot going on in the world. And so whenever I was in that and I'm trying to to pull myself out of it, I'm trying to yank myself back from the depths. And uh, I had a discussion with my wonderful SO. She was understanding that I was, you know, not feeling great. I, I, I didn't you know, know how to pull myself out. And she started talking about, well, you know, you always seem to do better when you have something to work on. And I didn't have a project. I, did, I had nothing at that time. I had my job, which, you know, I love my job. I've been at it for 13 years. I really enjoy it. But I didn't have something that was passion to work on. So she told me what, what you need to do is find yourself a project. What's exciting to you right now? And my answer to that was, well, you know, I've always wanted to put my homebrew out there, uh, things that I make, because I really enjoy DMing. I really enjoy uh, sharing that with others. I enjoy the collaborative effort of storytelling. So that's when I started working on it. And I got excited because I was so happy to have a project again. And because I was excited, I started talking about it with all of my closest friends. and. The, the closest of the close right here, my boy Fernando, I told him about the project early and he could see that I was excited about it. And he's like, well, you know, let's let's do this. We had this previous kind of, you know, failed project in our background, but I didn't want to fall into that trap again. So I said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to start slow. We're going to start small and then we're going to slowly expand as we go. And uh, here we are. Yeah, so I mean, the, the same skills that he used to be a really good guild leader and Final Fantasy XIV is what makes him a really good leader when it comes to this project that we're doing. It's things like that. I get very excited about things. Wisdom is my dump stat, basically. I get like super excited. I jump in right away. And um, Fernando's and a I golden go retriever. Hand. He is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's not to say, by the way, like just so for people out there, I also had had. Uh, bouts of depression and i i see a therapist every single week there's no shame in that everybody should do it one of the reasons they carry you your me, mental health yep yeah it's like you see me being happy and joking around right now a ton of that is because i see a therapist every single week because everybody has problems and everybody has depressions and it's sometimes a chemical imbalance thing so it's one of those things where like i i jump and, th and then matt is the one that sort of like slows me down just like sometimes somebody will say something <laughs> funny like a joke maybe on twitter and I'll, I'll message Matt and I'm like, I'm going to draw that. And Matt is like, no, you have like items to draw and stuff. Like, don't, <laughs> you, and you have limited time. And I'm like, no, you're right. I'm not going to draw. But that's the thing, right? Like I jump, I go right in. And uh, so he keeps me kind of even heel and that we, we just work really well together. So I really enjoyed that project that failed, even though it failed, I didn't care. I really, I was holding on to it. I'm still holding on to it. Like I said, like that it's, can still work could still uh, in the future. Yeah, it could still come to be. And his D&D &D setting stuff is fantastic. I would love us to someday like release some of that stuff that 
that he's worked on because I've, I've been a part of some of those games and really is wonderful stuff. But then, yeah, like I just really like working with him. So every chance that I had to work with him, I'm, I would jump right at it. And we finally uh, found something that, that hit for both of us because yeah. we're both just enjoying every second of it. Like you really are, right? Like it's so enjoyable. I feel like we just wax poetic about that question for a really long time, but we really love working together. Like it's, it, it's not an act. It's not a front. He and I are great friends. We pump each other up so frequently. He'll send me art and I'm like, Dude, you are the best illustrator in this world. What are you? What are you doing working with me? You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's, and then he comes right? up with like genius stuff, like like yeah. But he comes up with like genius stuff, like campfire, right? That is like reworking the entire travel system to make it actually fun. And like you, you look at it, and it's like I. The first time I read it, I was like, oh my god, this is like phenomenal. Everybody should. This should be official, basically. Like everybody <laughs> should include this in all of their games because this is a way to make travel. A really fun thing in D and D. Anyway, great segue there because that's what I want to chat about next. So, Ooh. Campfire <laughs> just released today, which is the twenty fourth. But this episode isn't coming out for a couple weeks. But anyway, as of today, I checked uh, earlier this afternoon, and you'd sold over a hundred copies on Coffee, and you have. I, I didn't check Itch, but I'm sure there's quite a few on Itch. And then you are also releasing it on DMs Guild in a few days. So drive through RPG. Oh, sorry, drive through RPG. Yes. Tell us a little bit about Campfire and then also maybe some of your other projects that you've got coming up. Absolutely. So one of the the big problems that I've had with D&D over the years is that travel falls into two buckets for me. The first bucket is that people montage it and skip it entirely because they want to get to their destination. The second bucket... Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I did because I think that the most interesting fun stuff happens when you're at the point. The other bucket are people who run kind of rules as written and I'm going to I'm going to do it again Fernando, but one of my preferred podcasts of late is Twice Bitten Curse of Strahd. I really enjoy a lot of their stuff and uh you should check them out <laughs> twice bitten cos on twitter anyway they do rules as written dnd and recently they have been doing you know some traveling around and things like that uh so that's the other bucket right people who run it truly rules as written travel speeds random encounters all the time and i didn't fall into either of those buckets i want something in between so I needed something. I have my current home campaign is going to be with this like hub setting. They have like a hub area that they're going to be at and then traveling to other places to go around. So travel is a big part of the campaign, but I didn't want it to be the focus of the campaign. It's not Lord of the Rings. Because travel wasn't the focus, but I still wanted it to be important, I needed something else. Campfire was started when I had that idea. For myself, I'm a big fan of fourth edition for, I know that's going to be a hot take because people are like, oh man, fourth edition. I, I love the others too, guys. It's okay. Just calm down. It's all right. But I really enjoy, <laughs> I really enjoy fourth edition for the, uh, the skill challenges. And I thought that that would be an interesting mm. opportunity to bring that forward into fifth edition in a unique way. And that's kind of how Campfire got started. I wanted to give a travel system to people that was somewhere in between those two buckets. I am a firm believer that if that is not the focus of your game, you shouldn't focus on it. 
we have a lot of systems out there that they try to take over the entirety of the game. They're very complex. They're very big and gaudy and they have a lot of stuff and they're awesome. I love a lot of those systems, but I need something that doesn't take the focus off of my story. So that's what Campfire was intended to do. It's made to be a travel system that keeps the focus on your story, on your players, on your characters, on what they're doing and where they're going, while also providing some interesting weight through what I call hardships and windfalls, which are, you know, kind of things that come along with travel. They're things that carry forward after you get to your destination. So travel doesn't feel like it's this overbearing you know monster but it also doesn't feel like a montage it's that nice middle ground with, and that's why i call it elegant it's a, an elegant travel system for your table what about your next couple projects what do you have on Ooh. the on the back burners that you're going to work on next yeah um, oh all the secret things that we're not telling anybody yeah yeah don't talk about the aliens <laughs> Yeah, so our next couple projects, I so the next one definitely it, it has a, a working title right now that I'm not going to repeat out here, but because it might be it's robots. <laughs> it's, it's not robots. It's not robots. No, uh, it, it has a working title that uh, I'm not going to repeat because it might not be the final title. But it yeah. is the other side of this hub system that I'm talking about, which is town management without taking over your game. That is the next thing. There are fantastic homebrew town and building management systems out there. The biggest one, obviously, Matt Colville, this giant of the scene, somebody who I respect and share a name with in some ways, only first name. But I think he's been name dropped the most on this show, like more than Mercer, what? more than a bunch of other people. Yeah. Matt Colville, you know, Matt Mercer, and of course, Matt from Abyssal Bruce. <laughs> Yeah, the three the three mats. Of course. Right. Yeah. There's a mat world out there. But that mat is world. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm friends with Fernando. <laughs> oh, well played. Oh, beautiful. But yeah, you know, there's this desire for something that I think is in between again. That's where all of my systems seem to fall. I don't want the rules as written where it's like trade gold, get structure, pay upkeep. That's not what I want. I also don't want, you know, a, a system where that's the focus of the game. I think right. that there are wonderful systems. Colville system for town management is fantastic, but it is much, very much a, a focal point system. I think you have to run a campaign around it. Whereas mm -hmm. I want systems that you can run a campaign about everything else. But when you want to do this stuff, that's this. So that is kind of our next immediate project. After that, cool. it's it's a lot of other, you know, uh, kind of floaty things. But adventure, question mark? I think that town management was like the most daunting part of my first experience as a DM. I ran through Lost Mine of Fandelver. And yeah. when it got to Fandolin, I was like, okay, there's like 10 different people and they each yep. want different things. And they each have different names and they live in different places. And I've got to like keep them all straight and 
understand what each of them wants and somehow get the party to talk to them or not talk to them or whatever. And I just dumbed it down. I was like, I'm not going to do this. I'm making the one dude who owns the orchard, the one who knows all of this information. And he'll just like send them on different quests and they just keep coming to back to the same dude. So I don't want to have to like think up a new character voice and, you know, new motivations. You know, it's just, yeah. it was yeah. too much as a newer DM. Now I, I'd be more comfortable with it for sure. But right. yeah, it's, I think there's a lot to be said for little bolt-on systems like like Campfire and like others that mm-hmm. really just help streamline parts of the game that are clunky, you know? So yeah. there's definitely a need for it. That's the market we're trying to hit for those DMs that want to run a nice story-focused game, but also want, you know, something a little nicer for their uh, their travel or town management or death, which we also offer. Um, that's another one we have, The Cycle. That is our death system for D&D 5E that removes the back and forth yo-yo consciousness that you sometimes run into. So we've kind of talked about it a little bit. So Matthew, you do all of the writing or most of the writing and the layout and that kind of stuff. And then Fernando, you do a lot of the art. So we'll start with Fernando. How did you get into drawing and art and that kind of thing? Since I was a little kid, I always like drawing and stuff like that. And my daytime job is not an art job, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because it makes me really want to do it in my spare time mm-hmm. instead. But it, yeah, since I was, since I can have memory, uh, I've been drawing stick figures and just getting better and better and just admiring other artists and always aspiring to be like that. Larry Elmore, again, like was a huge influence on me. And I actually have one of like this uh, signed copy of like the, the Red Dragon from the famous, you know, d box that he signed for me. So, you know, I've always been drawing stuff, but I've always also been attracted to fantasy art specifically. And, you know, I can draw stuff and all stuff, but like, I just really like drawing fantasy art. So about 10 years ago or so, I started doing tokens for Roll20. So like I, I sell my my tokens for Roll20 character tokens and stuff like that. And I love doing that. I, there's not only, the only problem is like, it became a little samey for me. It became almost like a job because there's only so many poses that you can do for a token from seen from above. And I really was looking to expand sort of like my skill set a little more and challenge myself a little more because that's a big part of like, if you're, if you're going to be, you know, a professional artist or a, a, a good prolific artist, you cannot get to a point where you're comfortable because your art looks good enough. And then you just keep doing that forever. You have to keep pushing yourself. So I got really good at, you know, comic book art, but then I wanted to have a more painterly look. So I started doing more painting, paintings and stuff like that. And it was garbage at first, but. You know, I started watching YouTube videos and I'm self-taught. I can I confirm, have, it was really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've seen it. You've seen it. So, but then, you know, you start, you start, you do it. It's like, like Malcolm Gladwell says, right? 10,000 hours. So anything you do for 10,000 hours, you're going to become an expert. At. So that's I started just podcasting. Just, oh boy. Yes, that's a lot of podcasting. <laughs> Better so, get on What that. you got to do is you got to start multiple podcasts. Like, you know, oh. like you like my wife would so, kill me. Podcast how, Empire. Yeah, next, how to DM. Yeah, this is. <laughs> And how to make a, park, a, D, a podcast about DMing. That's the everyone so. asks how to DM, not how is DM. Yeah, yeah how is why? DM? Why uh, DM? Why is DM? So, yeah, who is DM? Yeah, I I couldn't do that. If I did three podcasts, my wife would would kill me. So oh. it's it's not going to happen. But it's I love the idea. Someone out there, whoever's listening and has been thinking about starting a sister <laughs> show to mine or starting a show that's going to replace mine because it's way better 
Fernando's giving you free ideas. Go take them. And by the way, that that also that's part of it too. Having a supportive spouse. Uh, all kidding aside, um, mm. my wife is a phenomenal and like su- supportive person. Like right now, she she took care of the kids and the dog and stuff, so I could record this podcast and stuff like that. So we help each other all a lot. Uh, it's definitely not one sided. Like I do similar things for her and stuff like that. So it's but that that helps. So yeah, the way it works is you know, Matt for the most part he writes the stuff because uh, he has a much better mind for this stuff than I do. And, you know, I come up with items every now and then. We're working on one that I come up with right now, but like largely he's the ideas guy. And then I'll illustrate it. And he you just me called me the ideas guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt, I've got an idea that you guys should, should write for me sometime. Yeah. Derek, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> this is like when you make a movie and then everybody wants to pitch you a script. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So then, uh, you know, he challenges me, which is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for to challenge my artwork to get better at it. And um, my whole life, like, I'm basically going to die chasing that dream of, like, I'm never going to be happy with my art because that's how it's going to keep getting better. And actually, Larry Elmore is something that when I talked to him, he said the same thing. People ask him, what's your favorite painting you've ever done? And he's like, the last one that I did. Because that's the thing, right? Every painting that I make, I love it for five to ten minutes. And then I see nothing but the flaws. And onto the next one. And I apply, you know, I look at the flaws of this one and I try to avoid them in the next one. And I learn from every single one. So just keep pushing myself. And that's what Matt is doing with, with his side of things. It's like he's pushing me to get out of my comfort zone and not just paint a bunch of like characters, but also do backgrounds and do townscapes and do landscapes and all these different things that I normally no, don't find as, as exciting. But the end result, I think, like speaks for itself. Like I'm actually very proud and happy of the artwork that we're putting out in our in our pieces. And you should be. Uh, all right, I don't want to take too much more of your time. So let's let's get to the last couple questions here. So the first one is: What has been the most challenging part of starting this project and and working on this homebrew stuff together? And then what has been the most rewarding for both of you? Honestly, there's been zero challenge for me. I, I've been thinking about it and I can't come up with a single challenging thing because people have asked us that before. And I'm like, I, it's been honestly nothing but joy for me. And the best part is I get to work with my best friend and we get to do really cool stuff. You know, another tip for people out there, you know, whatever you're creating, create it for yourself. Don't worry about the audience. Don't worry about like, if you build it, they will come, right? So like, if you create your homebrews, then you can eventually run at the end of the game with like your ghost dad. Wait, no, that's that's from that's field of dreams. But if <laughs> if you if uh just just create for yourself and you'll find the audience. The audience will find you rather. You know, like there's a lot of people, a lot of like-minded people that you're in the world, and the internet connects us all. So it's it's easy to find that niche audience. So just create what makes you happy and the rest will come with it. Yeah, absolutely. What about What's rewarding for you? Is it just that same thing? Just basically getting it out there, seeing the replies? Honestly, yeah. Like just working. That's the thing, right? Like working with you is the, it's its own reward for me. Like just the process of us going back and forth. <laughs> the process of us back and going back and forth, that's rewarding to me. And the end result is definitely rewarding. And the love that we get from the community is phenomenal. Like it's blowing my mind. Oh my gosh. We've gotten emotional all day today. Uh, it's had a physical sort of like impact on us so that that's not to downplay it but that really is kind of the cherry on top because the meat and potatoes of, of the reward for me is just working with matt on something that's what i 
sought to do on our fail project. And that's what I sought to do on this one. And like our fail project, it failed. It was a ton of fun to work on from beginning to end. I regret yes, it nothing. It was super. And we learned a lot from it that we're applying now. So yep. honestly, that's that's a reward for me. It's just working together. Yeah, anything to add, Matt? For the the challenge part, I actually do have one. You know, Fernando's all all puppies and kittens. But for myself, there's been a lot of challenge around the continued development of content and feeling like we're getting it out there fast enough in order to make sure that we are remaining relevant. The content cycle for Twitter and Instagram, on Twitter, it lasts about, you know, 30 minutes. On Instagram, you have two to three days. So between those two things, there is a huge challenge with making sure that we are getting out content frequently enough to stay relevant. Because when people think of homebrew, I want them thinking of Abyssal Brews. And for us to get to that place, it means that I have to constantly be in your Twitter feed. It's a, it's a lifestyle switch. It means that I spend nights planning content and writing memes and pitches and goofy jokes and puns and whatever. But uh, that's been the biggest challenge, just that constant content cycle to make sure that we're relevant. Yeah, I've been grappling with that. When I was in college, it was easy because I would just be tweeting during class and while I was studying and when I should have been sleeping and it was easy to be pumping out (laughs) tweets and and finding ears, you know, and and that kind of thing. But now that I've got a full time job and a family and whatnot, it's hard to keep up with. And especially Mm -hmm. since a lot of my time is spent like editing and working out advertising deals and, you know, whatever else. I do as a, as a podcaster. So it's hard to like find the time to even create that content that keeps you relevant in the first place. So I've never felt the push to release more than once a week, but like I see a lot of other podcasters out there do like bi-weekly or whatever, you know, every two weeks. And I, I sometimes envy the people who are doing it every two weeks. Cause I'm like, man, that would give me so much more time, but also like, is that does that keep it relevant and it's hilarious because this is supposed to be a hobby of mine that's just for fun and i'm still like constantly thinking about how to Mm -hmm. you know get a bigger audience or whatever so i have definitely felt that struggle as well and uh, i think you and i well you you two and i kind of started around the same time so we've been growing uh together and so i'm sure we've had a lot of similar experiences like that yep tripped a few times and just keep on growing Exactly. Uh, okay, so this is the last question. This is my favorite question other than the worst mistakes one, which is what are your parting words of wisdom and encouragement and in your cases uh, for TTRPG content creators and then also people who are running games or want to run games? So for myself, for TTRPG content creators, I would say the chief piece of advice tip that I can give you is just get over the initial fear of releasing whatever it is that you're trying to release. Don't get stuck in the ideation stage, start working. Whatever it is that you have in your head, you need to begin working on that in some way. It can be small, it can be whatever it is. Whenever I had this initial idea for Abyssal Brews, the thing that my wonderful supportive SO said, was start planning. So what I did was I went and I made a mind map that works for me. I like mind maps. They work for me. That won't work for everybody. Don't copy me. But if those work for you, do it. 
I started planning. I started writing out what it was going to look like, how this all could be put together. And I had this big vision for how we would set up Abyssal Brews from that. And then I started working on the little things, whatever I could. I set up a Twitter. I just made the account. It was minor, but I did that. I set up our coffee shop. I set up this thing. I started building the website and then it started snowballing into, all right, I'm working on this regularly. And now I have a a nightly writing ritual that I use and so on and so forth. But you need to take that first step, get over that fear of releasing and then put it out and just see what happens, man. Because the cycle, whenever we first released it, it was pretty lukewarm i mean people were kind of like "Eh, okay yeah whatever but as we started talking about it more and pitching it more and people really started giving it a look then it grew and we started doing more and more magic items and things of that nature we had a big july promo where we did a magic item every week and now we've just been keeping that up since then so i think for us it was just getting over that fear of putting it out and being judged But once we were able to start talking and start boosting the community and get people involved and get people really looking at our stuff, it changed the perception that I had on what it could be to be part of the TTRPG creator space. So I would say for anybody that's out there trying to get started in that space, just start making something small. Make one little thing, one little part of it. Just write a paragraph. Anything that you can do to make that initial step, that's the transition from your head to a piece. For anybody that's getting into DMing, uh, I have two DM mantras that I will happily share with anybody that asks. Those are to be a fan of the players and to remember the humans. Those are the two things that I always tell any new DM. Be a fan of the players. All that that means is when they are excited and doing something cool, be excited with them. You're their friend. You're with them at the table get excited for their crits, get excited for their big character moments, get excited for their funny jokes and their little in things that happen, get excited for their characters having a a cool and fun moment. And then the other side of it, just remembering the humans, we're all friends sitting around a table. You need to understand that everybody around that table is bringing their own experiences. And oftentimes just remembering that we are people, not just the characters we're playing that will take you really far. It'll make you feel like a good DM and it will make your players feel like you're a good DM, even if you're just okay. What about you, Fernando? Yeah, that's honestly, that's such good advice. Just make something and put it out there because the first thing you make is the biggest hurdle. Get out of your head, put it out there. And you know what? It's probably going to suck. It's probably not going to be well-received, but that's fine because you're going to learn from it. And the next thing is going to be better. And eventually you're going to hit it because I have worked on a ton of failed video games failed board games, failed comic books before, you know, I got to Abyssal Bruce and then we, we've seen success with what we're doing. It's okay to daydream, but don't try to be super successful from the beginning. Create what makes you happy, not what's trending, not what you think is going to sell. Create what makes you happy, what you want to create, put it out there and it will find its audience. Uh, if you are a Let's Play podcast, don't try to be Matt Mercer from the, from the get-go. If you are uh, an illustrator, don't try to be Larry Elmore and Wayne Reynolds from the get-go. Just, you know, keep doing it in your spare time uh, as your hobby, but just put it out there. The important thing is that you release it. I always tell my daughters, uh, it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. So anything you put out there, if it seems like a mistake, it's not if you learn from it. It's a learning experience. So that's when it comes to that. When it comes to creators, uh, I will say, pay your artist, guys. 
Uh, exposure <laughs> is not legal tender. Supermarkets don't take exposure. Um, you don't have so, your exposure card? What? What? Are, yeah. I, I, left it, I left it in my exposure wallet. <laughs> this is really ironic because, you know, Fernando and I split the profits from Abyssal Brews. I don't directly pay him. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's a foreign payment, right? What I mean is, even if that's your deal, even if you're just splitting it two ways like we are, yep. and even if you sell just like 10 bucks, right? Split it because just the gesture of getting paid is so uplifting for an artist. Just the moment that you, be, you become a professional because you got paid, even if it's 25 cents, it doesn't matter. It's just the gesture of it. What is demoralizing is not getting anything for, for other than credit. Like, again, like my name on a thing doesn't pay for food. And if you're an artist, likewise, do not accept that as a deal. Don't let anybody be like, oh, but you know, don't. Because the big studios pay their artists. The big studios that have more exposure than anyone, they still pay their artists. So that's, that's kind of like, I guess, what... Uh, one thing that frustrates me, and it's not just in this sphere, it's everywhere. Video games, Hollywood, comic books, TTRPGs, everywhere people are trying to, because, you know, it, budget for your art too, guys. Like the thing, our, the reason our thing looks professional is because we have sort of like a, an art budget in the sense that, you know, he's a graphic designer, I'm an illustrator. We do the same thing. Find somebody who can do it and then you split it with them. So it's, it's going to be a blog about it where I, I break it down a little bit more if you want more information on that. But uh, yeah, and don't be afraid to go to an artist that you like and see if they'll work with you. All right, we'll say it one more time for the people in the back. Please pay your artists. They are worth it every single penny. It makes your product better every time. Every time. Yeah, I've had a few other people say the same thing. So pay your artists. Okay, so... Campfire is out. It is available on Coffee. It is available on itch.io. It'll be available on DriveThruRPG at the time of this episode dropping. Check the episode notes for those links. It's five bucks. Um, but yeah, everyone, go check that out. Abyssal Brews on Instagram, on Twitter. And yeah, let's support them. And I'm excited to see what new guys, uh, new guys, what new stuff both of you come up with. <laughs> We're going to cycle ourselves out. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Season two of Abyssal Brews is a completely different team, you guys. Look we're forward recasting. to that. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. Where, where do I uh, Where do I apply for for the roles? It's yeah, like True no. Detective. You know, every season we got a new cast. We got a new story. <laughs> and uh, and and not, not the TRPG. Next season, we're doing uh, bathroom tiles. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, you two, for joining. It's been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of really serious and poignant conversations, and we had a lot of fun and jokes, too. So I have thoroughly enjoyed this. It's great to chat with both of you, and I hope you both have a great rest of your evening and week. Yeah, it's been a blast. This was fun. And you're, you're a great interviewer. I've been listening to the past shows, and I'm, I'm a fan. Oh, he's into the flattery stage. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on How Not to DM. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or Podchaser. And remember to share the episode with your friends and family at your TTRPG table. The ad music I use is from the free library of RPG tunes which Arcane Anthems has made. Check out that on his Patreon. My intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin, aka Mr. Tape. Check out his music on Apple Music or Spotify. And as always, until next time, Roll some nat 20s for me.